Honestly, it's a real pleasure to be with you. So nice to be here. I've never been to Illinois before. I've been trying to work out what a hooser is. <laughs> Indiana, oh my goodness. Did I say Illinois? I, forgive me. Forgive me, brothers and sisters. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've come to the center of America. I realize that. So. Hooser. I've got the hooser bit. If you can give me a definition on hooser. Mike, Mick was trying to give me one earlier on, so I'm just fascinated to know what, what that word is. We don't have that in my country, that word. So. At any rate, it's really good to be here, as I say. Um, uh, what I thought I'd do is today, and you may have seen a little program which I think Nick uh, cobbled together, is um, to, uh, the first bit before our coffee break, it, I want to really just sort of give a, back, a bit of background about the, the work of the Holy Spirit, in particularly in this area of revelation and prophecy and how he speaks to us. And then the second bit after coffee, we're going to do a listening exercise together where you have a chance to listen and receive words of knowledge and actually start prophesying over each other. And uh, don't be alarmed. That is a fun thing to do, okay? <laughs> In Britain, whenever I've said that at a meeting, you can just feel instantly that everyone go, <laughs> tension, tension enters the room, which is not the idea at all. But anyway, so the second half, we'll have a chance to all actively participate, really. Just to give you a bit of background about uh, my sort of spiritual uh, history and journey, where I'm coming from, to give you an idea of why I say the things I do. Um, I was converted when I was about 19, 20 years old. I don't quite know when. It was, I know I wasn't a Christian at 17, but I was at 21. And over those, those few years, uh, at the end of my schooling time, and I had a gap year before I went to university, I was talking to two great Christian friends about faith, and they would always tell me the only thing that mattered was that uh, I bent the knee to Jesus and repented of my sins, and I remember thinking, no, oh, bad idea, I don't like that at all. But anyway, I got there in the end, and by the grace of God, I say by the time I was 21, I was a Christian. And um, uh, I, uh, then I went to university, and I, my first six years or so, seven years as a Christian, in my early 20s, I went to quite conservative evangelical churches in Britain. Uh, one in, in uh, the northeast, at university town I was in, and then one in London. And they were great. They taught me, you know, the value of this. You know, how vital is scripture? You know, it's the word of God. It's the revelation for us to live right. And what's all that's needful for salvation is here. And they taught me about the church. And they taught me about uh, what happens when I die. They, most importantly, they taught me what, what the cross was all about and the power and dynamic through Jesus' death and resurrection. So I learned some really good habits. But what they were pretty weak on was the third person of the Trinity. As I said to the team last night, they, they basically their kind of view of, of the Trinity or the Holy Spirit was that he brought us all to the cross and that was about it. Yes, he was there at creation, and there he obviously could convict you of your sin if you sinned after you became a believer. But essentially, the, the Holy Spirit was really a sort of a shadowy third party of the Godhead. Obviously, God the Father and Jesus, we talk about them, we know about them, we know what they're about. And the Holy Spirit was kept to one side. I remember when I was going, uh, growing up at school, uh, I went to a school where they used the Anglican liturgy and assemblies in the mornings. And there was a line in it which said, uh, use the phrase, Holy Ghost. And I remember as a young chap being terrified by that idea. You know, I thought, I don't want to, I don't want to meet that. 
you know, God I can cope with, and Jesus sounds like a good guy, but the ghost? No thanks, you know? It's very unfortunate that the English language was not helping us on that occasion, yeah? So, uh, I, so I have this background, this grounding in a really good doctrine, and I seem to remember most of those churches, most of the time, were teaching from Romans. That seemed to be what we did. And, but I had various friends who were more charismatic, as we would describe it now, and uh, had a, a different experience of the Spirit of God. Most particularly, I had a friend from university, a very bright girl called Sarah, who occasionally would take me to her church on the other side of London, where they all used to sing in tongues and worship extravagantly and make a lot of noise and uh, pray for the sick and this kind of stuff. And I remember being appalled by this. <laughs> it would all seem too emotional, you know? I was quite a sort of um, buttoned-up Brit, I have to be honest, when I was 26. Quite a buttoned-up Brit. I don't, I don't know what your sort of stereotypical view of an Englishman might be, but I was probably a bit that way. <laughs> I, I had a, I was in London that stage, I was sharing a house with a, a guy called Mark, and uh, he was a lovely chap, he was also a Christian, and uh, he was a guy who worked in the city of London, which is like Wall Street in Britain, and he would go off in his pinstripe suit and the tie every morning, and, and he was very precise and very polite and uh, did everything properly. And you know, he didn't actually have a bowler hat and an umbrella, but you know, because it was the wrong era. But if he'd been around 20 years earlier, this chap Mark would have looked the part. He would have looked, you know, very much the English gentleman off to work. And um, he had a um, he once applied for a passport. He sent his passport off to the passport office asking for a new passport. And in Britain at that stage, they had a, a line, a question in the passport form, which said. Are there any distinguishing features? Meaning you've got a scar on your cheek or something like that, you know, so that the passport will be accurate. So Mark wrote in there, stiff upper lip. <laughs> which, which is a sort of British sort of caricature of, you know, precise English gentleman, you know. And the extraordinary thing is the passport came back and it said stiff upper lip on it. <laughs> After which we couldn't work out whether there was somebody at the password office who had a great sense of humour, or probably more likely had no humour at all. <laughs> but anyway, so that was my world as a, a youngish Christian in, the early, in my mid-twenties living in London. But I was occasionally being dragged along to this charismatic church. And in due course, I actually moved town, and I lived much nearer that church. So I started going out to have friends there. I started going to that church more regularly. And it was during that time, really, over a couple of years, that the Holy Spirit sort of gently, gently ambushed me. <coughs> and I started to see that there was a whole lot more to this Christian life than knowing right doctrine. And it was actually such an intimate, powerful relationship, as I saw with my friends. And I thought, I want some of that. I want that. Most particularly in this area... Of revelation. I'll give you an example. Um, uh, you obviously have heard of the gift of tongues. A glossolalia is the Greek word, which is a heavenly language. We're told in Scripture in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. It's the, uh, the language of, of men and of angels. And it's a prayer language, because that's what Paul describes it as being used for. You pray with this gift of tongues. I didn't have tongues at the time. But I remember driving in my car one Sunday south of London, I was on my own in the car, 
And this is rather dating me because this is a car which had a, a tape machine. Anybody under 40, you won't know what I'm talking about. But this is a tape machine. Okay, it's a bit like an iPod or something. And anyway, on this tape machine, I had uh, hymns ancient and modern, you know, <laughs> being a good Anglican. And, you know, it's kind of all these ancient hymns, Wesleyan hymns and things. And I'm singing along, top of my voice, Thine be the glory, la 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 you know, so <laughs> Enjoying myself. And I, I, remember, I remember praying. I remember thinking, well, this is all very well, me singing like this. But, Lord, I really, really want to worship you better. How can I do that? What does that look like? I want to worship you for who you are, what you've done. You are good. And I remember having some vague thoughts about maybe I should join a choir or something, you know. <laughs> Try and do it more formally. That was my answer to that prayer, you know. But it was a genuine prayer, and I remember praying it. And then about ten minutes later, as I got on, going on my singing, I went, Thine be the glory, shalabala karachi de tora karachi. And I thought, oh no. That's that tongue thing. <laughs> oh no. Oh, this can't be good, can it? <laughs> anyway, but I, I realized it was, that was the Lord's answering that prayer. And he said, you know, I know best. And I, the best way you can really get deeper in worship for me, Richard, is to have this gift of glossolalia, this gift of an, another language, a prayer language, a worship language. And uh, so I talked to my friend Sarah and various others that evening. I said, look, this is what happened to me. rather embarrassing. Um, and they said, no, it's great. Just keep practicing it. And I found subsequently, if you don't have that gift, can I really encourage you just ask the Lord for it? Press in, ask him for it. You know, he says in scripture, you, you do not have because you do not ask. So ask him for it. It's a really useful gift. It's like, um, I see it now as really like being given a, a sixth gear in my car, you know, in my prayer life. You know, praying in English is great. And the Lord hears it because it comes from the heart. But this is like an extra oomph to those prayers. And I know sometimes I've been praying in tongues, in the spirit. I just know with a certainty that that prayer has been heard and is going to be answered and the Lord's going to move deeply in the area. That I'm, I don't know exactly what I'm praying for, of course. And in that regard, it's all about faith. Tongues is all about faith. You accept that this is a spiritual gift that he's given you and I, and it's spirit to spirit. So he can interpret it. He knows what's going on. Anyway, we'll talk about tongues later on at some stage over this weekend. But anyway, that's one example of how the Lord sneaked up on me. Another one would be in the area of Revelation, which they say what we're going to look at today, this morning. Insofar as I, I, we had prayer ministry groups, prayer ministry teams that would go down at the end of services. This big, we were in a quite a big church in London. It's about sort of um, about 500 people there. And on a Sunday evening, they had these groups, prayer ministry team groups, would come forward in pairs and would pray for anybody who needed some prayer. And usually a good 30 or 40 people would ask for prayer each evening. And uh, I, a great friend of mine called Steve was doing this, and he said, hey, Richard, why don't you come along and just sort of sit in on this and see what's happening? And so I did. And it was the first time I was sort of on parade to do this ministry. And all the way through the service, I couldn't help. I was just, all I was thinking about was a, a, a particular thing. And I couldn't get it out of my head. I thought, this is just me being distracted. So anyway, I went down to pray. I was sitting at the front of the church, it's a big old Victorian building, and the people would come up from the aisle down the middle, and then somebody would say, right, go and pray with that couple, or that couple, or that couple. And I was with Steve, and a, a guy came down the middle of the aisle. He, he looked really mean. He looked really tough. 
You, in Britain, we would call him a bobber boy or something like that, <laughs> a skinhead. And he, this was, and he had shaved head, big boots, very aggressive stance. He had tattoos on him. That was back in the days when nobody had tattoos, okay, <laughs> except sort of gangsters. Anyway, this guy, I saw him coming down the aisle directly in front of us. I remember praying, wouldn't it be good if he went over there <laughs> to be prayed for? But no, sure enough, he comes straight up to us. This guy is sort of rolling his shoulders and looking intimidating, you know, as if he's about to hit anybody who comes near him. But he came for prayer. So he came up to the front for prayer. And uh, Steve, who was leading the whole thing, I was just being quiet, started, got his name, started talking to him. I said, how can we pray? And he said, well, we could pray about this, this, this. And we did that. Not much happened. And then Steve turned to me and said, Richard, were you getting any words of knowledge or words of wisdom during the service? And I said, well, I'm really embarrassed to say this. I can hardly, I mean, I feel so awkward saying this. I had this one thing in my head all the way through. And what it was, was a kind of dessert, a pudding, you know, a, th a, a creme brulee. Now, I don't know if you know those, but creme brulee is really sweet things. They're sort of, uh, a, They've got a hard shell on the top of sugar, cooked sugar, underneath a sort of gooey niceness. Anyway, there's this creme brulee. Now, maybe I was a single man and didn't eat very much, and I was just hungry. <laughs> so I said, this, you're going to laugh at this. It's really stupid. But we've been encouraged to share, even if it seemed foolish. You know, being a fool for Christ, really. So I share this stupid picture of this creme brulee. And I'll never forget this guy who'd come forward for prayer. As I was sharing it, his head went down, and his shoulders started to shake, and he, and he started to cry. He started to blub, all these tears, and was racking his body, was sort of racking his chest with emotion. And I looked at Steve, and I thought, oh, gosh, that's a weird reaction to that, isn't it? <laughs> but anyway, this guy, he got himself together eventually, and so we say, well, what's going on? Why did you react like that when Richard said that silly thing about a creme brulee? And he said because I know what that is, that pudding. And he says, that's just like me, in that I've got this hard exterior, but inside I'm really soft. Inside I'm really frightened of our life. And he put on this big facade, you know, to be a tough guy. And it, it was good of him to be honest, but the Holy Spirit got him, you see. The Holy Spirit just touched his heart, melted him with something that he could understand. With his total strangers, he touched his heart and showed him that that's who he was. And that actually, and also the Lord in the process was showing him, you don't need to be like that. You know, I love you. You're my son. This kind of stuff. So he prayed into that. And I'll never forget watching him walk out. And he had a completely different gait. He walked in a completely different way. It was like he was just sort of relaxed and easy. Had no intention of hitting anybody. You know, it's really good. <laughs> And yeah, that was a good, to me, that was a real eye-opener, because I thought, wow, this word of knowledge thing, which they keep talking about here, that really bears dividends. Because how do we know to, the problem for this guy? Because he wasn't owning up to it when we asked him straight, you know. The spirit got deep into him. It actually says that in scripture. The spirit penetrates between bone and marrow. The Holy Spirit, who loves you and I, gets deep in there and shows us how things really are, how much we're loved, how much we're his son or his daughter. You know? This is the wonderful work that Jesus' spirit loves to do. So over this period of these few years, I started seeing and observing and learning that the Holy Spirit is wonderful. I was also a bit, uh, if I'm honest, I had a combination of ignorance about his ways 
and fear myself. And the Lord led me to a lovely scripture in Isaiah 54, verse 4. It says, did you really think I brought you here to humiliate or embarrass you? Look it up. Did you really think I brought you here to humiliate you or embarrass you? And I felt the Lord saying to me one afternoon, he's saying, did you really think, Richard, that I brought you here to this church to humiliate you or embarrass you through creme brulee stories, you know, things like that? <laughs> and I said, well, no, no I guess I, I can trust you. I know, yeah, you're good, you're good. And so over those years, this, the, the, the ignorance, I started to get clued up on what the scripture actually taught about the ways of the spirit in Revelation, and particularly the New Testament model. What does that look like? And then particularly my fear just started to go down and down and down. Because, again, well, you actually have two or three experiences like that where you see a word of knowledge or a prophecy is really helpful to somebody and actually accelerates their blessing, if you like. If you see that happening a few times, after a while you think, wow, why are we all doing this all the time? You know, This is the, one of the ways that God has decided to grow the church and to heal us. He's decided. He's invented these things. He invented tongues. He invented words of knowledge. It may not be the way you and I thought we should build the church, but the Spirit of God, the Spirit that Jesus says leads us into all wisdom, the Spirit of God says, right, I'm going to use words of knowledge. These are my gifts to you, Christians. These are my gifts to the church, and this is the way you build the church. And now I've been at it quite a while, um, exercising these gifts, and visiting a lot of churches over the years. And one of the things I've noticed is that one of the reasons why, sadly, so much of the Christian church in the West is weak, impotent, and distracted is because they're trying to do it their way, human way, rather than divine way. God has said, right, here's my spirit. He's with you. He's got these wonderful gifts, which he's going to distribute generously around the church, but you don't seem to want them. You'd far rather have a marketing program or something, you know? And I've noticed weak churches often don't really understand or apply the gifts that Jesus has given us. Ones that really do go for it see exponential growth in depth and in number. And certainly in our organization that I'm working with now, I think called the Filling Station in Britain, that's, that's all we want to do. We want to, want to just follow the Spirit, really. He knows how to build the church. We don't really. So we want to follow him. And we, we knew know, do know the gifts are a crucial part of that. As I say, what I particularly want to look at this morning is, is the whole revelatory side. Now, I had some slides which might pop up at some point uh, over there. Let's have a look-see. Yeah. The imminence of God. That's uh, what theologians describe uh, when, when ex exercising spiritual gifts like this. And people become aware in the congregation that, it, that God is there in imminent. He's there. God is with you. And that makes a lot of people s sit up and wake up and think, wow, this is personal. This is not just a clever philosophy, this Christianity thing, there is somebody here. He's spirit. He's with us. Again, let's go back to some really basic Christian ideas, shall we? <laughs> we read in Scripture that after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples in Jerusalem for four, and elsewhere for 40 days. And he did, uh, many of them saw him. And they started rejoicing and living an excited new life because they'd seen Jesus was alive. Then we're told, he, on the Mount of Olives, he 
blesses his disciples, and he ascends into heaven. And if you read that end of Luke or beginning of Acts, you'll see it says there that he, angels appeared, and they, the angels say to the disciples, they say, men of, oh, thank you, I love your two-tier lectern, by the way. Very impressive. Is this sort of a junior preachers? They start down here, and then if they get a bit better, they, okay, no. Uh, but it says about Jesus that um, the angels appeared to them and said, uh, uh, men of Galilee, why are you looking into the clouds? This Jesus, who's been taken from you, will come again in glory with the armies of heaven in the same way he's disappeared. So on the second coming, Jesus is going to come through the sky. We know that in Jerusalem. But anyway, he, Jesus has ascended. The man Jesus, the resurrected body of Jesus, he has ascended to be with the Father. Do we agree on that? Yeah. But of course, he said before he died, and actually after his resurrection, he prophesied that the Spirit of God, the, the Holy Spirit, would come and be with us. He prophesied it's going to happen. And actually, it's logical and wise that that would happen because Jesus, as a man, could only be in one place at one time geographically, couldn't he? In Israel or wherever. Whereas the Spirit is Spirit and could be with all people all over the world at the same moment because he's the Spirit. And so he prophesies this and says, I'm going to heaven, ascending to the Father, and I'll, the, the, I'll ask the Father, and the Father will send his Spirit, my Spirit, will come and be with you forever, he says. This is all in John, John 15, 14, 15, 16. He'll be with you forever, for all who believe. And sure enough, he tells them, stay in the city until Pentecost. Stick around. Don't you know, meet together and worship and pray. Stick around, and then the Spirit will be poured out on you. And that's actually what happens on Pentecost Sunday. And uh, also fulfilling the Joel scripture from the Old Testament of how the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all who believe. And your young men will dream, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. That's how you know how old you're getting, okay? If you only get dreams, sorry guys, <laughs> ladies. <laughs> but anyway, the Spirit's poured out on the church, and they're empowered. And of course, you see in the Acts of the Apostles, these people who were fearful of the Jews before that are so empowered by the Spirit of God, off they go, and they do all the works that Jesus does. Most extraordinary miracles happen. And the church grows hand over fist. First sermon that Peter gives, 3,000 people come to faith, you know. So the Holy Spirit is with us. He is God with us. He is Jesus with us. And it's proper, I think, to really get that in proportion. So the one who's helping you and I every day to, to live a full life and reassuring us that we're the Lord's children and loved is the Holy Spirit. It isn't technically... Jesus. Now, I don't want to divide the Trinity. I don't want to give you dodgy Trinitarian theology. But it is actually the Holy Spirit's function to encourage you and I and inspire us and guide us and lead us into all truth, show us if we're slipping up, you know, using our conscience to convict us or whatever. It's the Holy Spirit. So we need to know how he lives and works in our lives. And, of course, there's so much in Scripture along these lines, particularly in the Acts of the Apostles and then the Epistles. We see how the Holy Spirit interacts and deals with us. Okay, next slide, please. What's that? Are you, are you going to give me a clicker? Okay. Great stuff. Thank you. Last time I was given one of these, just a few weeks ago, I broke it. So I'll try and behave myself. Right, let's see how we go. Oh, that's too far. Go back. Okay, in 1 Corinthians uh, 
12 to 14 is quite a good place to start if you're looking at the gift of prophecy or the, or the revelatory gifts. And it, actually, those three chapters of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, we need to see them uh, as a, a sort of bit of a, a godly sandwich, really. You've got two sides of bread and then the real meat in the middle. Although, actually, that's not quite true. The, the bread is good to eat, too. <laughs> but it's interesting that they have 12. It's all about, he starts talking about the spiritual gifts and prophecy and how we should earnestly desire those gifts and what they all look like. And then, similarly, in 14, he goes back to that. But in the middle, 1 Corinthians 13, he has a whole chapter on love. And he says, basically, if you want to do the loving thing amongst yourselves, you use the spiritual gifts. Have you thought of it that way? Again, in my conservative churches, the teaching was the opposite. It was like, these spiritual gifts are awful things. They disrupt the church. They're certainly not a loving thing to do to anybody. It's just uh, annoying. No? But you no, know, God says the loving way for all of us is to exercise spiritual gifts. All of them. Because they're good. They're from a good God. They're good things. They're spiritual, but they are good, and they will have a good effect. So if you love your brothers and sisters, or anybody, one of the ways to show that is to prophesy over them, is to encourage them to use their gift of tongues if they haven't heard about that, is to, is to fan into flame gifts of healing they may have. There are 27 uh, spiritual gifts listed in the New Testament, and as I say, they come in, in sort of divisions, and we're looking at the revelatory end uh, this morning. And here he says this, earnest desire the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. There's a reason why Paul says this. But in the Greek there, where it says earnestly desire, the literal meaning is to yearn with all your bowels. Okay? <laughs> Do you yearn for anything with all your bowels? There's a question. Certainly if you're watching a rugby match or a football match or something, you do. You know. But seriously, yearning, it's a very strong phrase in the text. It's not like, oh, well, prophecy is a curiosity for some eccentrics in your church. No, it's something that every Christian should be pressing into God for, almost demanding that the Lord use me in this way. This gift sounds great, Father. I really need this gift of prophecy. Just give you one little case history. Um, obviously, over the years, I've tried to exercise this gift where possible. And we were in Bristol for a while, my wife and I, which is a city west of London. And we did, this is from 2004 to 2007. And we were asked by the bishop there to start a new congregation. And uh, it was a network church, which meant we didn't get give a given a building or anything. So we met in cafes. We met, we met in Starbucks. And... Uh, there was a group of six of us started this church, and we met in Starbucks every Tuesday night uh, for a couple of hours. And uh, we, people started to come, or we invited friends and things. And it got up to about, by the time I finished, got up to about 80, 90 people, something like that. And we had to keep moving venues because the Starbucks were too small. But at any rate, one evening, it was quite early on, one evening in this church, I was, uh, we were having coffee like we were doing a minute ago, and muffins and things. And a, a lady came up to me in her 50s, and we started chatting. I'd never met her before. And, um, but it was clear she was a Christian, and we just talked about a few things. And, and as we were chatting, the Holy Spirit sort of nudged me from behind and said, I, I've got a word for this lady to share. Uh, can you share this with her? So I said to her, do you mind if I share this 
as we've been chatting, I've been praying, I've got this word of knowledge for you. Can I share it? And she said, oh, yeah, yeah, of course, do that. And the, phrase, the word was, pretty simple, actually. The word was, the Lord says, when you see your son tomorrow, I, the Lord, am with you. Seems pretty basic to me. I mean, it's difficult to see how profound that would be in the natural, isn't it, really? So I shared that with her, and she burst into tears. You may think everybody I talk to bursts into tears, actually. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. Uh, they don't. They really don't, actually. But anyway, this lady did. She burst into tears. And again, uh, it was quite a, quite a heap. And she, she, she racked with tears. And then she got herself together again. And I said, I'm so, what did I say? And she said, oh, you don't know what you said. That was amazing. That is so amazing. And she said, well, my story is tomorrow, Wednesday, I'm going to the Bristol Adoption Agency because 30 years ago, I gave up my son for adoption. Uh, he was only born a few days, and they took him away. And I've never seen him. And he's made an approach to the Bristol Adoption Agency, which is the way it works in Britain, to try and find his biological mother. That's me. And she said, I remember her saying, I'm really, really worried about it, because he may be really angry with me, you know, for abandoning him. Understandable. I'm really worried. So when you say that God sees this, and it's going to be okay. Oh, what a relief, you know. So she was mighty relieved. Anyway, she came to church the next Sunday, next Tuesday and came running up to me. And I remember a big grin on her face. And I remember saying, oh, it's, how, I said, how did it go? And she said, it's great. He's wonderful. And we're having Sunday lunch next Sunday. And he's, you know, there's no bitterness. He's a lovely lad. And I got this relationship. Now, isn't that good? Isn't that kind of the Lord, you know? just to give a bit of encouragement at a key moment. And this gift is always a gift of encouragement. Other things too, like guidance, for sure. But it's always a gift of encouragement because it brings it home that Jesus knows you and you, and he really knows you, and he loves you, and he's with you. You're not alone. You're not an orphan. And so, you know, when we need that in the church, don't we? We need to really, really help each other exercise the way, the gift, the way the Lord's given it to us, because it will bring life. Jesus says, I bring life, and life in all its fullness. This is just one aspect of it. Absolutely wonderful. So, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, particularly the gift of prophecy. And that's why, partly why Paul says, particularly, go for this one, because if you do it in this uh, faithful way, it really uh, brings such a lot of hope to people. He says, I wish every one of you would speak in tongues, but I'd rather have you prophesy. That's interesting. He actually says, I wish all of you would speak in tongues. That's the first bit. Um, some, some church circles, they sort of think, oh, I don't like tongues. It's a bit weird. But we do prophecy. Well, no, he doesn't really say that. He says, prophecy is really powerful. But he also says, I wish all of you would speak in tongues. So use tongues too. Vital for a healthy church. What are the consequences of this? Well, um, strengthened. Uh, three things in 1 Corinthians 14. It says, you are there. Um, done all that? No, I won't go on to that second. Consequences of, pro of prophecy. To strengthen, encourage, and comfort. That's 1 Corinthians 14, 4. Strengthen, encourage, and comfort. And really, if you receive a prophetic word from somebody, and they say, thus saith the Lord for you, <laughs> you could weigh it up. By if it does those things, if it strengthens, encourages you, or comforts you. If it doesn't do those things, you'll have complete permission from God to, to bin it, ignore it, 
You know, I, in our church in Cape Town, which Nick and, and Kathy were in, we, uh, there was a lovely lady there who, who did get revelation from the Lord. She was, she was quite prophetic. But she had two bad habits, one of which was she'd been reading the King James Version of the Bible her entire life, and she was an older lady. So her language was all kind of 17th century English. <laughs> it was, verily forsooth unto thee, O Lord, this kind of stuff, you know. Which, so most people didn't understand what she was saying, you know, because we don't talk like that anymore. Uh, but the other side of things, which she, which she corrected in due course, was she, she was very harsh in her manner. And I remember her giving, getting up and giving some, some word about uh, dying babies. And I stopped her and I said, no, that's not it. That's not good. This is not, this is not encouraging, comforting, or strengthening anybody. It's actually just a downer. And, you, you know, we need to get this right. Because you do get it right sometimes. But you've got into some bad habits. Interesting enough, in her case... She'd been much mistreated by other church leaders and churches, and she'd been pushed from one church to the next because they couldn't handle her, really. And so she's quite wounded in here. And, um, but the Lord, in his kindness, over the three or four years he was with us at CHS, she, she got healed. And um, so she was able to prophesy uh, more clearly and more positively. And this is one of the things she latched onto was this scripture. Strengthen, comfort, encourage. That's what this prophecy should do. Now, prophecy is on a spectrum. Uh, Revelation is on a spectrum, sorry. Uh, Think of it like that, in that um, there are several words used in the New Testament about it. Uh, First of all, you would start on the sort of shallow end of the spectrum. It's not shallow as in less good, it's just where we start. Uh, It would be a word of knowledge. And again, that's a a Greek phrase that's used. Uh, uh, Gnosis, I think is the word. Uh, Word of knowledge, it's word of knowledge. And that's a raw bit of information which the Lord gives to you about somebody else over there in the congregation or wherever. And give me an example. It may be just you're, you're look, chatting to somebody or you'll see somebody and something pops into your head uh, which is, say, wounded, say, the phrase wounded. That might be a word of knowledge from the Lord to help you to help them. Again, spiritual gifts are there to help others. They're not to make us look more weird than we already are, you know. <laughs> they're actually, no, they're not, they're not there to sort of make us look, feel spiritual and clever. They're there to bless each other. So a word of knowledge might be that, using this example of a person who's wounded. And then you have a word, of no, uh, a word of wisdom. It's a different word used in the Greek for wisdom. Word of wisdom uh, on the spectrum is moving along a little. And that would be, say, this person is wounded because they had a really messy divorce. So God tells you that. He's wounded because he had a terrible divorce. And those, so that would be a word of wisdom. There's more to it. And then the third stage might be a prophecy, a full-on prophecy. Prophetiese is the Greek word. And that would be looking like, using this little analogy here, it would be the Lord saying to you, well, this person has a, is very wounded in their heart and soul because of this messy divorce. And as a result of that, they really can't trust anybody. And they've got fed up with church. And this is their last chance of thinking God might help them as they've turned up this morning. So there's a whole lot more to it. Prophecies often, but not always, have three distinct parts to them. They have a a historical, descriptive part about the person's life. They have a kind of current, here we are now, this is what's happening in them now. And then they have a foretelling bit, looking to the future, as in, 
using my damaged individual, the foretelling bit would be something along the lines like, but I now, the Lord, I'm going to heal them all this pain, and they're going to be joyful again, you know? Because we often think of the word prophecy, we think of Old Testament prophecy, we think of the foretelling bit only, don't we? It's very easy to think about prophecy is all about Jeremiah prophesying to the king about the Babylonians or something, you know? Uh, that's not it. That's the only one, at least one third of it. And very often, actually, prophecies only have a very elementary, small part of that, the foretelling bit. I'm, I, so I'm not primarily a prophet. I'm, I'm more, uh, um, uh, my gifting some more uh, in the apostolic leadership side, but obviously I do a little bit of prophecy as well. And um, the people I know and respect who are full-on pro- prophets, they've been raised up by God, so that is the thing they really do well, and they hear the Lord and his direction all the time. Um, they obviously have a, a bigger role in that whole foretelling description of things, which is exciting. The church needs this. The church needs the eyes and ears of prophetic people, for sure, uh, to go right. So on this spectrum, and the exciting thing is we, the Lord is very kind because he wants all of us to prophesy. And he, we, can all, we start on the word of knowledge, really, invariably. You know, so if you're wanting to step out further in this whole area of prophecy, which is what we're going to do in a minute, um, then... You, you can start with a word of knowledge. And don't worry, he knows you and I. He's not going to give you the sort of the end days revelation of how <laughs> the second coming is going to take place right off front. Very, very unlikely. He'll start with something which you and I can cope with and is relevant. And then over time, this is certainly my experience, over time, he then gives you more revelation. It's like you're trustworthy with a little, and so he can trust you with a bit more revelation. And it gets stronger and stronger. And the Lord will, another phrase, I quite, description I quite like about this whole area, is that the whole church, all the Christians, all of us here, we're all uh, doctors, we're all medical, we're there to bring healing and wholeness. And every one of us is a general practitioner, you know, we could, we could do a little bit of medicine here and there, but he raises up, like he does in medicine, he raises up specialists, so you may get a heart surgeon, or a brain surgeon, or whatever, anesthetist, these kind of things. There are specialist disciplines. And it's like that the whole church of God can prophesy. But he will raise up one or two people, or a smaller group, for whom this is their speciality. That's what they really focus in on. And, and I'm sure in your congregation, if you haven't got them already, if, particularly if you ask the Lord for that, he will raise up from your midst men and women who have a particular gift in that area. Ephesians 4.11, it describes the five-fold ministry of God. Uh, one of those is, is prophecy, or being a prophet. It's a really useful gift. But all of us can start off in the shallows, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, and see where it goes. And as we faithfully uh, share those words, he will invest with us uh, with more confidence and, and more information to share it properly in a constructive way, to encourage and strengthen and comfort and so on. Um, so that's certainly been my experience of it. So, so I've talked for quite a while. There's quite a lot of general stuff. Um, I've, uh, I, I might, shall I rattle through this? These are just, uh, I'll just give you some five or six points as pointers as to what prophecy can do. I'm, I'm sure most of you would probably guess this already as to what prophecy can do. Evangelism, very quickly. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, a meeting at St. Stephen's, which is the church I first went to before I went to Africa. Um, in one of the more evening services, no, morning services, had a word of knowledge about a man who had a damaged left knee 
because of a sporting accident. So we shared that, and a couple came forward, and a uh, middle-aged couple, and he, was, uh, he came forward and said, that was me, I've got a damaged left knee. Actually, they weren't Christians, these two. He came forward and said, that, that was my knee. When you talked about it, I knew that was me. And he damaged his knee playing hockey for the under-18s under Irish hockey team. And he had this bad in injury, for, and he had, some, had an operation on it, it hadn't really worked. So he's still in pain from this wretched thing. So we, you know, we, we prayed for his knee, and he felt some comfort and healing, and partial healing, not complete healing. But the interesting thing was his wife, Annette, was, was really overcome by the Lord. Because she just thought, wow, there must be a God if he can tell my husband, Neville, in public like that, about his injury. Because, you know, we've been living with this injury for years. This is amazing. And she, she gave her life to Jesus at that service because she was so overwhelmed with the revelation. So what I'm saying is a prophecy, if you want to grow as a church, use prophecy. Do it. Just let the Spirit guide you. Exercise these gifts. And often the prophetic words, you will think, that doesn't sound very clever. You know, it seems pretty obvious to me. But it's in the context. The Spirit opened up her eyes that this had to be supernatural. This had to be the Lord. Evangelism. So that'll happen. Okay, there's just... Um, this is actually us um, baptizing. Uh, we Actually, I did this um, Saturday a week ago in a very cold river in Yorkshire in the north of England. Uh, we baptized uh, seven people. It was jolly cold, I have to say. Uh, one, of them, <laughs> one of them was an Irish lady who uh, called Josephine. And um, she, she, before we went into the water, she said, do you think it's got to be cold? And I said, uh, yeah, it is, it's quite chilly. I'd done six others by this stage. So we, she went in, <laughs> and we dunked her out of the water and brought her back up again and said, oh, oh, that's so cold, that's so cold. I've got to get out now. You know, so she, she ran out pretty fast. But, but she was baptized. She had enough water over her. Oh, okay, this is another um, picture you might mention. This is a, a Sikh gentleman called Mahoob, Mahood, who, uh, in Harrogate, again in Yorkshire, uh, and that lady next to him is a lady called Laura, who's on our team in England. And she's a bit of a kind of a natural evangelist. She just talks to people uh, anywhere about the Lord. And they were praying beforehand, she and her friends. And she got a, a word of knowledge uh, about, and I'm trying to get the, remember the details. It was something about, oh, he was a leader amongst students. They had this word of knowledge. God said, there's a man who's a leader amongst students who's tall and with dark hair. And you're going to meet him. And they prayed, and half an hour later, uh, sitting where they do it, and this guy walks past, and sure enough, there was a big sort of student convention going on, and so they bounded up to him and said, hi, well, I'm Laura, and what are you doing here? What's this all about? And they got to chatting, and sure enough, they just talked to him about Jesus, and you know, he was absolutely ripe. You know, he was totally there and ready to give his life to the Lord, even though he came from a Sikh background, other religion. You know? And he did. He, he'd become a Christian, that guy. Guidance, another thing the Holy Spirit will do through prophecy is give you, you personal guidance, guidance for other people, guidance for you corporately as a church. If you want to know which direction to go, then pray, ask the Lord to speak, and by uh, exercising these spiritual gifts, you will get some direction. You'll get some guidance. I was praying with somebody just the other day, and I had a very clear picture of a signpost with two sign, white, white signposts, two arms pointing two different directions. And the Lord said, 
Both directions, if she chooses to do this, both directions I will bless. That was quite a good sign to have, you know. She couldn't make up her mind to do this or that. Other times I've actually had it where it's, there's a big black cloud and it's pretty sinister on one side. You know, do I go down that path, you know? But in her case, um, the Lord was, was showing such favor to her that either course of action, he was going to be behind it. Healing. Uh, that's a picture you can't really see very well, but that's a, a picture of a Norwegian lady called Anna. Good name, Anna. And uh, in, that was taken in July this year. Uh, no, May this year. Uh, we, my wife and I went over to Norway, and uh, we spoke at various churches and filling station meetings there. We've got two filling stations there now. And this lady came to this meeting, and she, she uh, for some years, I think three years, she hadn't been able, she had an accident with her back and spine, her shoulder, shoulders, and she wasn't able to lift her hands beyond about there. And um, so we prayed for her, and um, again, we had a prophetic word of knowledge about somebody who was in that condition before we got to the meeting. So when I shared that and said, is there anybody here who's had a damaged spinal shoulder thing, which affects your, your mobility in your arms, come forward. And so she came forward. And we prayed for her. And that photograph was taken. The Lord amazingly healed her. That was her showing what she can now do. That was about five minutes after she was healed. And as you can see, she's pretty happy about that. Praise God. So that, the word of knowledge led to the physical healing. That's um, what I'm saying on that one. Uh, spiritual warfare, that's actually a statue on a cathedral back in Britain. That's the archangel uh, Michael, I think, dealing with the devil down there. <laughs> Again, words of knowledge are very um, useful when it comes to deliverance. And if you bump into a situation where there's an unclean spirit manifesting in some form, uh, you really do need to be led by the spirit specifically as to what, how did that get in there? How did that person get influenced? Obviously, you need to possibly lead the person concerned in repentance if they've willfully been involved with something. And my experience of demonology and uh, deliverance is the vast majority, I would say probably about 75% of uh, cases where somebody has an unclean spirit oppressing them, and the language of the Bible is all about oppression pushing down, unclean spirits oppressing them, it's due to trauma. It's not necessarily due to the fact they've uh, been deeply sinful or been playing with the occult or whatever. Uh, in Britain, certainly, the majority of cases is because they've had some traumatic event towards them. Something awful has happened in their lives. And that has got in. An unclean spirit has latched on in some way. But again, the, the Holy Spirit is infinitely superior to anything unclean, obviously. We're told in Scripture that he who is in us, the Holy Spirit, is greater than he is in the world. So as Christians, we need to have any fear about demons. You know, they've been stamped on. That's a very good statue in that regard. You probably can't see it, but the, the devil is actually chained behind his back. He's immobile. Because God has won the victory at the cross. Remember that. And that spirit of Jesus is in you. Okay? So you and I need to have no fear of unclean spirits in any form. I had a wonderful example of that. We did a mission in Sweden this year, in April, with our filling station meetings over there in a place called Gothenburg. And uh, three days of, of just praying and teaching and doing some good stuff. And there was a, a girl came up uh, end of one of the meetings, uh, a, a very, very attractive uh, mid-twenties, classic Swedish girl, blonde hair, blue eyes, 
And she came up and to, to the frontier. And Joan, my wife and I were praying. And she came towards us. She had a really hard face. You know, even though she was naturally beautiful, she looked really sort of... There was a toughness. Uh, it was like a mask over her face. And I instantly felt the Spirit saying, you know, she, she's had a rough time of it. And this is defensive, you know, in her. Anyways, so we got to praying with her. We started praying the Holy Spirit would touch her. And she started sort of bending over and choking and coughing and spluttering and gagging. And we knew this was an unclean spirit kind of stirring things up. So we took her to one side and two of our team are particularly strong on deliverance. They do quite a lot of it. And so I got Simon and uh, Laura to deal with her. And, and then over the next really, 20 minutes or so, they, they prayed with her. And it's interesting, they insisted that this girl look them in the, right, in the eyes and then they would talk to the oppressive spirit and tell that to clear off and then they would talk to her as a person. But by the end of it, and she was delivered of quite a few uh, unclean spirits, by the end of it, she was transformed. A bit like my bother boy. You, know, she, she, you could see that there was joy all over her. Her face literally had changed. There was a lightness in her spirit. She looked young again. You know, she looked child, almost childlike. There was, a, there was a joyfulness in her. She wasn't a Christian, by the way. And her friend, who was a Christian, had brought her along because she was so desperate. And she had had a really tough life and abuse at home and all sorts of things. But anyway, this girl sorted out. The spirits were cleared out. And she was transformed. Again, and again, words of knowledge, words of revelation, really helpful in that whole kind of healing experience. Uh, but again, don't worry, he's not going to chuck you in at the deep end and insist you do that first, you know. <laughs> You're not going to have to deal with legion or anything like that. He'll, he'll help us where we are now. What, all he's looking for on this, I'm going to shut up on a minute, all he's looking for is availability. Do you want to be used to bring people to Jesus, to honor the Lord, grow the kingdom of God? If you do, this is one of the ways he's going to help you and I do it. And I, I can't think of any other way to live. This is great. It's the most exciting thing. But he's the one that's going to do all this work through us. All he's looking for is availability. Okay, how are we doing? 11.20. Um, I think that's it on the topics. Yeah, okay, I have to mention that. Okay, there's a spectrum picture for you. How about that? So what I'm going to do now, before we have our coffee break, because I said the second thing after coffee is when we get a chance to actually do it ourselves, and actually have a crack at this and exercise this. And many of you, I'm sure, will be moving in the spirit already. But I'd just like to, for five minutes, if I may, just uh, wait on the Lord and maybe share a few words for you specifically, um, if he has anything to say. So let's just pray. Yeah, Father, thank you so much that we could be together. Thank you for all your goodness towards us. Thank you that you've uh, taken away the veil between us and you through Christ. Thank you that you've given us your good Holy Spirit. Let's pray now. If there's any specific words of encouragement that you want us to share at this stage, I pray you might release them to me now, to us to now, us now, and we might hear from the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. First one I got was for a gentleman called Luke, who I was talking to a moment ago. Hi, Luke. 
Uh, obviously, weigh this up. I didn't mention earlier on, all prophecies, you have complete liberty to weigh it. St. Paul actually says that. If it doesn't hang true in your heart, don't worry about it. Uh, but what I felt for you, Luke, was um, I felt that um, you, you're in a good place with the Lord. And he's gonna, I believe he's going to raise you up further. I think he's going to give you more increasing authority as a Christian. I, I see you, you have wisdom already. He's going to give you increasing wisdom. And I was just reading in Timothy this morning, actually, my readings, where Paul talks about, to Timothy, you know, who is the leader of the church in Ephesus there after Paul left. And, um, you know, he's, at one point he says, don't let them look down on you because of your youth. And it's the idea that actually in God's sight, he sees the heart, he sees what you're like, and he has a mind to raise you further, to raise you up in authority further. And he'll equip you and gift you, but you have wisdom and you have an understanding of the ways of the Lord, but he's going to grow that in you. And in that regard, you're going to be a real pillar, foundation, a bulwark to the congregation. Um, I believe the, the Lord has a mind to raise you up. He sees your heart is uh, humble before him. You're not a man of pride. And that is, in the Lord's eyes, really important. And he's going to raise you up, I believe, and equip you in, in relation to church things of how the world works. So I feel there's real favor over your house and your family at the moment. So offer that out. See what you think. And uh, bless you in the future. That's one thing. And, I, and for you, ma'am, I saw for you, um, I think the Lord's going to do course. What I saw was you behind a steering wheel. And um, uh, basically, that you're going to be used by him to steer and guide others. It's almost like you're in a bus and there's people behind you, sitting behind you. He's going to raise you up. You're going to have an influence in your community. I don't know why. I don't know how exactly. But the, I saw these hands, your hands, on this steering wheel as a metaphor for how the Lord is going to raise you up and use you in due course to be influential with others around about you, I feel. Um, so I don't know specifics on that, but um, just a thought. Anyway, I'll throw that out to you. See what you think. Thank you, Lord. That's really good. Um, is there, is there um, apart from... Mick, who I know is one. Are there any army veterans here? There's two guys, two men. Oh, half the room puts the hand up. Okay. <laughs> okay, I've got you already. You're done. Okay. <laughs> I, no, I just saw two younger guys who are vets. Could, could you stand up? You, you're one, I think. Okay. So you're pointing there. I see. Sorry. You, he, he was volunteering somebody else to be an army veteran. <laughs> You're a vet, excellent. Okay, that's great. Well, there's two, I saw two of you, at least two of you. Well, anyway, there you go. Sorry. Ah! Oh, okay, well, let's, well, this may, why not share this with him when you see him? Uh, it's just, um, I believe, I believe the Lord may raise you guys up uh, to understand spiritual warfare. You've understood natural warfare, uh, but the Lord, I think, is calling you to a new dynamic in military, in military thinking which is to intercede and to fight for the kingdom of God, to fight for those who are weak, to be a defender in the spirit. What you claim, you will gain. What ground you claim in Jesus, you will gain. My arm is behind you. You have a sword in your hand, and I want you to wield it now. You've had many years of training. Now is the time for you to speak up and pray and do spiritual warfare for your family and your community and win ground from the evil one, is what I was getting. So please share that with your husband. 
if, if, if you, when you see him, when you see him. Okay, I just uh, offer that out. Probably that's quite a sort of martial picture there. Uh, interesting. Okay, thank you. Great. Well, should we have some coffee? Let's have some coffee, shall we? And then we'll get a chance to agitate.